Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. So um, the last couple weeks we've been on a sermon series and we're walking through the life and death of Christ. Now, I heard something so interesting today or the other day and I have to share it with you because it's super interesting. So there was a study done on how many days of, of Jesus' life is actually recorded. Does anyone want to throw a guess out there? This is one of those returns. You can actually talk to me. Anyone got a guess? A ballpark figure. This is where I miss Max. 72. All right. 47. So S on the lowest end, 27 days. On the highest end, no more than 50. Is that not amazing? So at the end of John, it, it, it talks about, like, if we were to record all the things Jesus did, it would, it would fill up every page in the world. Like, it would just it, it overwhelm the world with pages. And if you think about it, it took four Gospels to write about, at best, 50 days of Jesus. That's pretty amazing. Like, that gets me, like, just overwhelmed. I'm like, that is amazing. It's also overwhelming when you're trying to talk about Jesus' life. What do you pick, right? Um, so we have to, I had to be really selective, and we started with the wilderness. And as we talked about the wilderness, we, we recognized our need individually for wilderness. Jesus set the tone, if you will. He set an example. Uh, he actually modeled it just like the Israelites were modeling it, right? Except Jesus said, hey, here's how you do it. Here's how you survive a wilderness. And he points to kind of three things. One, um, we need a wilderness so we can know God, right? Like we think we know God until we need God. And then we really find out how well we know God. Uh, two, we need wildernesses so we can grow in our faith. We need to grow in our faith. Our faith is, also, is much like a plant, right? If you leave a plant in a pot long enough, it doesn't know it can grow outside of the pot. It just keeps binding up, and it never gets big, and it gets stunted in its growth. And that's how we are. If we don't experience wilderness, we're just like that plant. We can't ever grow. We can't ever get mature. We can't ever bear fruit like we're meant to. And then the last thing is we, we, learn, um, we need a wilderness so we can learn how to go in power, right? All of us are called to go. It might be going across the street. It might be going to India. But we need to learn how to live in the power of Christ. And we cannot experience that if we're not willing to go through the wilderness. Last week, we spent time talking about Jesus on the mountain. And we, just, we explored kind of the first segment of Jesus as he's preaching the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we focus on the reality of that being a new covenant, right? And, and what's amazing is, and I heard this yesterday, so I cannot take credit for it. It was a TikTok preacher, so forgive me. Um, but, man, he was on point. He said, Jesus loved simple things. I think you sent me this, by the way. He says, they do church simply. He says, Jesus loved simple. He says, the, people, the only people who got mad in the Old Testament or in the New Testament were the people who made God's commandments complicated, Right? They took 10 laws and made 266. Jesus took 10 laws and made them two. Jesus is all about simplicity. He says even the mind of a child, right? So you need to have a heart like a child. 
And so Jesus calls us in this Beatitudes and in the, in, in the, the Sermon on the Mount to live in specific ways. As one, we need to live set aside. A lot of us don't like that word holy. I used to wrestle with it. I thought the only people who could be holy were preachers in suits, you know. That was who I thought. That's the holy people. I'm not holy. But God said, hey, I want you to live set aside. I want you to live differently. Like I want people to look in your life and go, man, that person's got something going on. I want something like that. Why do they have joy in the midst of sadness, right? Why are they kind to people who are absolutely awful? I want to live that way. Jesus calls us to live as he's taught us, right? Just like it says in Matthew 28, and we even look there. He says, go and teach them the things, right? Teach them my commandments. And we're called to do that. And then lastly, we're called to live through the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a big deal because we can often look it's really tempting to look at the Beatitudes, to look at Jesus' teachings and feel like, man, how, there's two ways you feel. Either one, I'm getting it done. I can check all these off the list, right, which makes you self-righteous. And the other one is being overwhelmed, which is how I feel so often. How can I possibly live like that? Like I keep screwing up. I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't. And it's a reminder, man, we've got to live daily in the Holy Spirit. There, there, we have no shot at living up to what Jesus wants us to, but we can get there. The Holy Spirit enables us, and so it's a reliance on this. So today we're going to be exploring Jesus in his glory or Jesus transfigured. Um, I don't know about you guys. I, we talked about the transfiguration as a kid, but it was like a story, and then that was it. It was just like it happened, but no one told me what it meant. And so like, I knew Jesus was transfigured, but I was really confused, like, what does that have to do with the rest of the Bible? Like, <laughs> I'm confused. And so um, I was actually glad to spend some time learning a little bit more about this. We talked about it in seminary, but, I mean, it, you, there's so much you talk about in seminary. It's just like throwing mud on a wall. Like, some of it sticks and some of it slides off. So I got to spend a whole week studying it, and I was really intrigued by what I learned. So I'm, I'm super excited to be able to share with you. So there are three versions of this in your Bible. We're going to use Mark mostly because Mark has to come up and talk about Mark, and I like saying Mark repetitively so that it sticks with you that Mark told you about Mark. So we're going to be in Mark 9 <laughs> today if you want to turn there. And this is the one gospel that puts the entire conversation that we're looking at today together. So it's really interesting, and we'll talk about that. But uh, I'm going to have Mark come down. We're going to be in Mark 9, 1 through 13. So as Mark makes his way to the stage, I want you to... Um, just a little quick background that, that Mark's gospel is really Pete's, Peter's gospel. I said Pete, like I'm best friends with him. Me and Pete, the, the apostle. Um, Mark's gospel is just him relaying what he learned from Peter. That's what generally consensus is. And so as we read this as Mark, this is also Peter's words being re, uh, you know, reshared with us, if you will. So Mark, if you don't mind. There you go. Then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, 
it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. The word of God. Thank you, brother. So as I said before, this is... So this particular gospel is... a reiteration of what Peter was going around teaching and telling people. So one of the hard things to grasp is understanding that the early gospel um, expressions weren't necessarily written. Um, the earliest gospel accounts were told. And we know that because we see them in Acts. Like the first gospel proclamation outside of Jesus was Peter 10 days after Jesus ascends to heaven. Um, so we know that the earliest proclamations were vocal. That was how anything was translated back then that's how anything was remembered outside of writing them on a scroll most people had to remember them most people couldn't read most people couldn't write and so mark writing this down in in writing peter's words down again allows us to have a greater understanding of, of peter's process because we'll see later on um peter actually writes about this again in second peter and if you ever want to look that up on your own i talk about it a little bit in the podcast but if you go to 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, it'll tell you, Peter will tell you about the transfiguration there. And so it's just another way of reiterating and, and noting, hey, this is something that happened. Uh, and this meant something. So what we're going to see in the transfiguration, and it's vital that we understand this. Not that it just happened, right? It, but it, why it happened. It, it matters that it happened is this. Uh, one, Jesus is the suffering son of man. Okay? And that's important. We'll get to that. Two, Jesus is the glorified Messiah. Now, <clears throat> as we get into uh, our sermon and start beginning to understand some things, I want to help you understand the kind of the background of where all this is coming from. So the Jewish tradition of the Messiah had the one coming of Messiah. Okay, We'll say Messiah for the sake of not confusion. And he was going to suffer and be glorified at the same time. So they wanted a David right? They wanted a new king who would come, conquer all the enemies, maybe take a wound, you know, take a, take a bullet in the leg or something, and then move on. Like, that's what they wanted. That's their expectation. And they see this because of the prophets. They see it in the way Elijah talked, in the way Daniel talked, the way Isaiah talked. And so it was a reality that in their minds, they could not separate the Messiah coming twice. They couldn't separate a, a, a suffering Messiah, a suffering son of man, and a glorified Messiah. It was just overwhelming to them to think about that. Jesus is constantly spending his 
efforts with his disciples just trying to get them to wrap their head around this. And so what we're going to look at today is we're just going to go through and, and, and show, like, hey, here's what this means. Why, why did he do this? Why was the transfiguration a thing that needed to happen? <clears throat> so if you'll look with me, one, verse 1. And Jesus, this passage right here can often be considered a confusing passage. So Jesus is talking not only to his disciples but a group of people. Okay? And, and he says, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Okay, there's more, but I cut it off uh, by accident. Um, now, this is actually coming off of a passage where he's telling them about the end time, what's called the parousia um, of Christ, which is the second coming. And he's telling them, like, some of you are going to see some, my glory. You're going to see the Son of Man coming in glory. And this has often been argued to actually say that the Bible's inaccurate because they're like, well, no one saw that. Or to say that it happened already. The second coming's already happened. But here's the reality. In all three Gospels, this statement happens, and then the immediate statement after says, after six days. Luke says something a little different, but it's essentially the same. But after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And he takes them to the mountain, and he is transfigured. Jesus is telling them, hey, you're going to get to see something unique. You're going to get to see me being glorified. This is probably very, they couldn't wrap their head around it. Because, again, who would? You know? Uh, the only people who've experienced God's glory um, were few and far, far between. 5,000 years, and I think there was four, Right? Two of them being Moses and Elijah who were showing up. So them wrapping their head around this is very difficult, but Jesus is already pointing them like, hey, look, this is about to happen. Some of you are going to experience this. And the sum of them are the three um, that we mentioned. So if we go to verse 3 and 4, <clears throat> we actually see what the kingdom of God is going to be. Right? We see Christ in his glory. And it says, his clothes became dazzling extremely white, like no launderer on earth could whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. The disciples, for a moment, catch a glimpse. They catch a glimpse of what it's Jesus would look like in his glory, magnified above all men, honored and glorified as the Son of God. They talk about his body, like his clothes, like he's emanating glory, right? And, and here's the thing, it's, it's a reference that we won't necessarily get. I, I didn't get this right away either. But there's a story in the Old Testament about Moses when he, saw the, when he was in God's presence on the mountain. And it said his face shone. His face was reflecting the, the glory of God. He had been in God's presence too long, and now he was radioactive, it's a joke. He was not radioactive. <laughs> Gosh, please don't take that home with you. <laughs> but he, he was glowing. His face was glowing. The disciples described Jesus, his whole body is glowing. He, all of his clothes are glowing. And they're the whitest of all things. Like no launderer could get that white, right? No amount of bleach is going to make it that color. Because again, it's not just the color. It's the radiance. Jesus is radiating glory now. Because he's not reflecting God's glory. He is glory right? And so they get a glimpse of this. And then not only do they get a glimpse of this, 
But then we see that there's, there's more confirmation coming, right? So not only do they visually see this, and, and, and it's overwhelming what they're trying to describe. They're like, man, like Jesus is glowing, <laughs> like what's going on? But then there's further confirmation of what's happening, that he's in his glory. And that is, in verse 4 through 7, we see that we see Elijah appear to him and Moses appeared to him. But then we also see a cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from that cloud that said, this is my beloved son, listen to him, right? So first we see Elijah and Moses, and this is, this is where, like, as a kid, no one told me this. I just did not get it. I was like, why are those guys talking to Jesus? Um, at best, I was like, is this like time travel? Like, <laughs> is, this, is this God showing off that he can do things that's cool? Uh, but no, they stand for something. So what, what, did Mo, what is Moses most known for? You can speak at this part. What's Moses most known for? What's, right, okay, so, right, what else? Someone said it. The law? The law, okay, so, I mean, there's a lot of things, so we can all throw it at. The big thing for the Jewish mindset, that was G- Moses was the father of the law. Abraham's the father of the people. Moses is the father of the law. And so Moses brought them the law. And this is, again, another, not only is it a, uh, uh, not only is it important because the, the writers of the Gospels usually are trying to lean and say, hey, look, Jesus is the greater Moses. This is a specific time where God's going, look, Jesus is bigger and better than Moses. Like however you hold the amount of steam you have for Moses, Jesus is greater. This means not as much to us. This is in our culture, Christianity-wise, but to the Jewish culture, it's a big deal. This is monumental. Jesus is above the, the one who brought us the law, right? And then there's Elijah. And again, the reference here is lost. But Elijah was always the stand-in for the prophets. Whenever someone would reference a prophet, it was Elijah. And so, again, we see Jesus who's, who's, again, being glorified, what? Above the law and the prophets. And it's, a, it's not only is it a foreshadowing, it's, a, it's a showing these disciples what they're going to need to be able to begin teaching their theology to the Jewish people. Say, like, yes, you know, you love Moses. Well, there's one who's greater than Moses. Yes, you love Elijah. There's one greater than Elijah. And so we see those things as to a background. And then behind this, <clears throat> well, in the midst of this, they're actually talking with Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us in Mark or Matthew what they're talking about, but Luke, thank you, Luke, tells us. And it says that Jesus is telling them about his death. Now, I got excited about this. This is the part where like, my ears perked up, and I'm like, ooh, what? And here's the realization both of these men, both Moses and Elijah, lived their whole life as, uh, you know, in an extreme amount of faithfulness. And they, they wrote down God's word faithfully, right? Uh, Moses wrote, considered wrote most of the first five books of the Bible. And they recorded these things so that they could be passed on accurately. But they never saw the full picture, right? Like when we go back and we read the Bible, we can read how Jesus is in it. In fact, our entire kids' curriculum is based on that how Jesus is in the very fabric of the Old Testament. He's everywhere. But they didn't get to see the whole picture. So this is Jesus telling them, hey, you remember when this happened? You remember how Abraham brought Isaac to, the, to, the, um, to be sacrificed? 
Well, now I'm the one being sacrificed. Do you remember all those rules that were laid before? I'm going to be the one who fulfills them. He's telling both of these men who live their life in extreme faithfulness, they get to see the full picture finally. Can you imagine how overwhelming that must be? That God's mercy and grace is now before them. And they spent their whole life wondering, man, maybe one day I'll get to see it, maybe I won't. And now here they stand in front of a glorified Jesus who's like, hey, it's going to happen. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what it means. What an amazing conversation that must have been. And then following this, there's a cloud, right? So amongst this, obviously Peter has a comment because Peter's Peter, and he's got to say something. And so Peter's overwhelmed. He's like, man, we should build build a tabernacle. And there's a whole reference to why that's important, but we're not going to go there. Because, again, this is Peter misunderstanding the, the main point. Back to what we talked about. Peter kept assuming Jesus was going to be glorified now. He wanted Jesus to come now. He was like, glorified Jesus should come today. And I promise you we don't want that. We'll talk about it. But we're going to go to the continuance of this confirmation because right after this, after Peter has to open his mouth, there's a cloud, right? And out of that cloud it speaks, this is my son, listen to him. This cloud's going to reference once again Moses, right, and the people of Israel because you had the Shekinah glory, right, which led the people through the wilderness, who was God's physical manifestation in a sense, as physical as it gets, I reckon. And again, just like the prophets and just like Moses, God says, listen to him. Right? He told the people of Israel, listen to my servant, Moses. He told the people of Israel, listen to my servant, Elijah. And now again, he's telling Jesus' disciples, listen to my son, not my servant. Listen to my son. That's a big deal. Again, he, it's just, this is a monumental moment because what it's doing is it's showing us the absolute deity of who God is, of Christ and his nature and what it's going to be like. And then all of a sudden it disappears, right? All of a sudden it's, it's, just, it's gone. And, of course, here's the reality. When we've been in the presence of God, we can become a little disoriented, Right? Like, it could be overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever been, like, if you've been there and you've had a Holy Spirit moment, you just get kicked, you get your doors kicked off, and you're just like, man, that's, usually I'm crying. Like, there's a lot of crying, usually. Um, Aaron picks on me about it. But, I mean, you just, whether it be in worship or in prayer, like, man, you, sometimes you get overwhelmed. God shows up in a way, and you're like, whoo, that was, I'm sorry, you know? So it's not unusual to be disoriented, and that's exactly what's happening with the disciples. We look at verse 9. It says, as they were coming down the mountain, um, he ordered them to tell, them, tell no one what they had seen. And they kept this word to themselves, and they kept asking what rising from the dead meant. <clears throat> and this is going to be a continuation because Jesus, before this, was already talking about his death and his resurrection. They go and they experience his transfiguration, and then he tells them again, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And they still can't wrap their head around this reality. They're struggling with this. But Jesus is trying to help them understand. So in verse 11 and 12, he says, Why did the scribes say, they ask him, Why did the scribes say Elijah must come first? And he says, Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Now here's the thing. As I mentioned before, he's already said this. 
I'll take you to uh, Mark 8. You don't have to turn it. I'll put it up here. But in Mark 8, 31, which is approximately five verses before he tells them, some of you are going to see me in my glory, he tells them this. He, teaches, he says, then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He's trying to get them to understand this. Like, I keep saying it, but you're not hearing it, right? I, I've repeated it. I think most parents have been here. <laughs> Every educator's definitely been here, hands down. But it's like I keep saying it, and you're not getting it, and I don't know what the issue is here. But there's the reality that they're going to struggle with this. Peter's going to struggle with this until Jesus literally comes back and sits and eats with him on a shore and challenges him to love him. Like this is an ongoing process. And, and I think for one, the transfiguration is a relief for us that we can rest in our doubt a little bit. We're going to struggle with doubt. It's just reality. All of us are going to struggle and have some issues with doubt throughout our lives. And that's part of what the transfiguration is. It's a reality that Jesus, it costs Jesus an immense amount for our salvation. An immense amount for our, for our salvation. But there's hope. Because he will come again. He'll be glorified Again, the transfiguration is a glimpse of that. There'll be a day when this happens. Not only is it a glimpse of what will happen in the, in, 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 to Christ, and that when we see Christ again, that's how he'll look. Clothes that are whiter than what we can understand is white. Glowing, emanating, right? Leading an army of angels, if you will. But more importantly, we're going to be glorified. We're going to be changed. Our bodies are going to be restored. All of creation will be restored. And that's the hope. That's, that's the, the, the wonderful, sweet hope. Because here's the thing. If Peter and the rest of the Jewish people were right, then there's no mercy and grace. There's only judgment. Jesus had to suffer first so that we could experience grace. And then judgment would come. If Jesus doesn't suffer, then we don't have grace. And that's a key part of the transfiguration. It was the key thing that he kept telling them over and over again. I've got to die. I'm going to be rejected. And I'm going to suffer. But I'm going to rise again. I'm going to defeat death. But I have to go through this. Here's your take home from this. One, all of us have received grace and mercy for what Jesus did. Him living a life not glorified, him living a life of a servant, of a suffering son of man, allowed us to experience this grace and mercy. But two, that we can have hope for what Jesus will do. That there's a day coming. And whether we're alive when we experience or not, it won't matter, because we're going to experience it regardless. We're going to be here as Jesus comes. And that should give us the absolute hope that nothing, nobody else has. There's no other religion about this. No other religion where God dies for the people. There's no other, you know, there's no other belief that, that encourages. This is it. And Jesus died not just for me, not just for you, but for every human being. It should encourage us, inspire us, and give us a desire to go out and share this with everybody. It's a hope that we have. 
This is just a glimpse of the glory that will one day be. And that's, that's what's exciting about the transfiguration. It means something more than just, yeah, Jesus talked to Moses and Elijah. It was weird and we don't know why. Right? It was, it was purposeful, so intentful. Everything Jesus did. Out of the 50 days, we have this random thing. And it was important. It was important because we get to hope for the glory to come. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed weekend.